Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. Happy Pentecost Sunday. Let's do it right. There you go. All right. <laughs> what is Pentecost? Um, the event of Pentecost is recorded in Acts chapter 2. The nature and timing of that event fulfilled all sorts of Old Testament expectations. It fulfilled ancient Israelite hopes. And today we're going to explore the meaning of Pentecost against the backdrop of Genesis chapter 11, which Brandon introduced last week. We're going to explore how the events surrounding the Tower of Babel give context to the events surrounding Pentecost. First, why do we observe the church calendar? Well, when we, when we follow the church calendar, we structure our common life around Jesus and the historical events which constitute our salvation and redemption. Every year, we remember the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And today, we remember and celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every society tends to structure its common life around key events in history. Here we call them holidays. In the U.S., we remember the birth of our nation with block parties and food and fireworks. The 4th of July shapes our common life and partially defines what it means to be an American. Well, Pentecost was the birthday of the church. And so we should be buying twice as many fireworks today. And I'm, I'm only half kidding. We learn to value what we're taught to value. We cannot value something that we don't take time to remember. That's an obvious statement, but that's why we, that's why we observe the church calendar. We want to pattern our common life as the people of God according to the events that made us the people of God. So, happy birthday. I'm going to do a quick review of Genesis 11, which we covered last week, and then we'll jump to Acts chapter 2. Throughout the book of Genesis, God repeatedly commands His people to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. However, in Genesis 11, mankind is actively rebelling against that command, disobeying that command. Rather than building outward, they are building upward. Rather than filling the earth, they're, they're anxious about dispersing. Rather than trusting God and stepping out into the unknown, they are staying where it's safe and they're building a tower there. The Tower of Babel was man's feeble attempt at ascending into God's presence. They were actively disobeying the command to multiply. And, and as you probably know, multiplication is hard. Whether we're talking about childbirth or church planting, multiplication is hard. It hurts. It's also wonderful at the same time, and, and, and it's precisely what God has always called His people to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But again, in Genesis 11, we see mankind rebelling against that explicit command. They are attempting to ascend to God. And what happens? God descends to them. He comes down to interrupt their building project, to confuse their languages, and to enforce a scattering over the face of the earth. Fast forward to Luke chapter 24, 
where the crucified and resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ, ascends into the presence of God, ascends into heaven. Generations and generations and generations after Babel, finally, at last, a sinless man is permitted to ascend into heaven. Jesus is the true and greater Tower, tower of Babel. By His life, death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus built a tower into the heavens so that we can be with God again, so that we can know His presence. And so, we better start climbing that tower, right? No, actually, that's wrong. Jesus does not command His disciples to start climbing the tower. He commands them to stay where they are and wait. For what? For God to descend. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So, in summary, the people have come to Jerusalem from all over the world. They speak all sorts of different languages, and yet they are hearing a ragtag group of small-town fishermen preaching the gospel in each of their respective languages. Amazing. Perplexing. What does this mean? Think back to Genesis 11. Whereas, whereas God descended upon Babel in order to confuse and weaken the nations, here, God descends upon the church in order to unite and empower the nations. At Pentecost, God removes the language barrier that He Himself erected, symbolizing international oneness and unity. That We're talking about a whole new world. This is a new world order. Now, it's important to see that Pentecost does not erase the distinctions between nations or between different ethnicities. Pentecost actually upholds and affirms linguistic and cultural differences. Pentecost is, is about diversity, not uniformity. Pentecost is about calling all the nations in all of their diversity to respond to the gospel where they are, to pray and sing and preach in their native tongues, 
to love and serve in their native lands. Jesus is the King of kings. That's what his ascension was all about. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. He has built a tower into the heavens and ascended to a place of authority over all the nations. And from the heavens, the presence of God descends to fill the church, this international community with power and presence. Why? For what purpose? Well, what, what do the disciples, of, the disciples of Jesus do in response? God descends and the people scatter, like Babel, except not. The disciples willingly and joyfully go to the nations. In Genesis 11, the people are disobedient. They are not filling the earth, and so God forces them to scatter. In Acts chapter 2, the people are obedient. They scatter of their own accord, having been united and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what the book of Acts is about, multiplying, church planting. Look at verses 33 to 36. This is from Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, that's ascension, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Pentecost, ascension and Pentecost. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In short, King Jesus has ascended into the heavens and his enemies are being fashioned into a footstool. Footstools represent things that have been subdued. So picture a victorious king seated upon his throne, resting, relaxing, reclining with his feet up. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's subduing his enemies. Now, that sounds pretty aggressive, right? So how is he accomplishing this? How is God subduing his enemies? Answer, through discipleship. Go, therefore, and disciple the nations. Discipling the nations means calling the nations to worship the one true God alongside one another. Worshiping the one true God alongside one another. That's the definition of world peace. All nations worshiping God alongside one another. Is that idealistic? Yes. Is it the future described in the Bible? Yes. Listen, I'm, I'm a cynical person. I have to fight against that daily. But God's promised future is not subject to my cynicism. It's not. This is the very work He is doing in our world. And He's using the church to accomplish it. The nations will worship God alongside one another. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. 
Again, this is what Pentecost signaled. The language barrier is overcome. The cultural barrier is overcome. The people of God have been reborn. We have the law of God written upon our hearts, and we, the church, are marching forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, multiplying and filling the earth, bringing the kingdom of God to bear on everything. That's what we're doing here. Nothing less than that. We are bringing the kingdom of God to bear upon the kingdoms of man. That's a big project, obviously, a global one. So what does it mean for us individually? What does it look like for us to participate in that global project within the context of everyday life here in Houston, Texas? I've got five things. Number one, we should obey. Each one of us should resolve to live our lives as though we have a king. He's a good king. He's a loving king. He's a king who lays down his life for us. But he is a king. And because he's our king, we owe him our allegiance and obedience. We will not be effective kingdom ambassadors if we are half-heartedly devoted to Jesus. Number two, we should pray. We should pray alone. We should pray together as the church. Why? Because when we pray, thy kingdom come, the kingdom really does come. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're not asking God to bring an end to this broken world. We're asking God to redeem this broken world, to establish the rule and reign of King Jesus over all the nations. That's what we mean when we pray, thy kingdom come. And we should trust that he is doing just that, no matter how dark it gets. God delights to hear us praying for his kingdom because that that is precisely what he desires to bring. Number three, we should worship. The purpose of corporate worship is to make us partakers of divine blessing. This is especially true of the Lord's Supper. When we come together for worship, we come in response to a dinner invitation. Every week, the King of Kings invites us to come into his house to share a meal. And we should not decline that invitation lightly, right? It's the King of Kings. This is the truly astonishing part, though. When we arrive at the King's house, we find him wrapped in a towel. He washes us, he reassures us, he teaches us, he feeds us, and he sends us back into the world. Thus, when we leave this place, our faces ought to reflect the joy and peace and glory of the kingdom of God. Our faces should not reflect disappointment over the quality of X, Y, or Z. Ultimately, if we come here to share a meal with the King of Kings, it will matter very little whether the sermon or the songs match our preferences. Number four, we should serve. If the King of Kings is humble enough to wrap himself in a towel and serve us, we should be humble enough to serve one another. 
The Bible talks about us in terms of living stones. We are living stones. Like living stones, we lay ourselves down and the church is built up. And this happens through loving service, whether it's serving and sojourn kids or just praying with a member of your parish. We build up the church through loving service toward one another. And we extend this loving service to those outside the church as well, especially widows and orphans, the poor and the fatherless. Number five, we should multiply. At Babel, when God descended, the people scattered over the face of the earth. At Pentecost, when God descended, the church multiplied over the face of the earth. They began a mission to extend the rule and reign of King Jesus to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. So that global mission and vision informs our mission and vision. Therefore, Sojourn Heights is going to do our part within the neighborhood God has given us. We are going to make disciples and multiply parishes and plant churches. We are going to build relationships and expose them to the Christian community and share the gospel. We're going to open our homes. We're going to take responsibility for speaking the gospel and demonstrating the gospel within our neighborhoods and within our workplaces. As Brandon said last week, we want to make the Heights a great place to live not simply because it's safe and wealthy with good schools, but because the kingdom of God has come here. So, by way of reminder, let me say this. Multiplication requires church members who are willing to take on leadership responsibility. And listen, I I know that multiplication is difficult. Babel knew that multiplication was difficult. That's why they didn't want to do it. But Abraham knew it was difficult, and Jesus knew it was difficult, Paul knew it was difficult. God has not called us to an easy mission, but He has called us to an empowered mission. In other words, it's hard, but we can do it because the Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. He empowers us to do the uncomfortable thing. Like Abraham, He he empowers us to leave the safety of our towers and go out into the wilderness for God to do the uncomfortable thing. Maybe you don't feel empowered, but you are. That's the promise of Pentecost. The Spirit dwells here in our midst. The Spirit dwells in you. If there are things that you like about sojourn, that's because by God's grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit, someone made a sacrifice to see those things become a reality. If if your neighborhood parish feels like family, that's because by God's grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit, someone took responsibility for you and opened their home to you. By God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can all make those sorts of sacrifices for one another. Consider the return on investment, family, community, spiritual maturity, shalom, new friends that eventually become old friends, more new friends, relational intimacy, deeper joy, meaning, and purpose, the privilege of seeing people come to Christ, 
the privilege of serving one another and being served by one another. So for, for the sake of leaders in our church who have been serving faithfully for many years, and for the sake of neighbors who don't yet know Jesus, for the sake of the single mother or the young married couple or the empty nesters or the recent graduate who's moving to Houston and looking for somewhere to call home, please open your home. Open your home to the Christian brothers and sisters who share this community with you, but open your home to your non-Christian neighbors as well, and then watch the kingdom multiply. Watch it multiply. At Pentecost, we see the redemption of Babel, Babel redeemed. All the scattered nations have been reunited. All the various languages of the world are together proclaiming the mighty works of God. The world is being made into an international worshiping family. Jesus has built a tower into the heavens and the Holy Spirit has descended to dwell in our midst. And because he is here, because he is with us everywhere we go, we can be fruitful, we can multiply, and we can fill the earth. For Sojourn, that multiplication project began here in the Heights. We multiplied into Montrose, into the Galleria, Spring Branch, East End, and soon into Brazewood. And each of those congregations is continuing to multiply within their respective neighborhoods as well. All of that is wonderful and beautiful. God has been gracious to us. And it's even more humbling to recognize that we are standing on the shoulders of men and women who for centuries have responded to the promise of Pentecost by doing the five things we just talked about. So let's continue joining them. Let's continue joining them by living faithfully within Christian community. When we exercise love and joy and peace and justice within our neighborhood parishes, love and joy and peace and justice will begin to mark our church. It will begin to mark how our church relates to other churches, which will begin to mark how our neighborhood relates to other neighborhoods, how our city relates to other cities, how our nation relates to other nations. Global unity is achieved not by dominating the political sphere, not by preaching the gospel of democracy or the gospel of capitalism, the gospel of global progressivism. Global unity is achieved through joyful worship of God, the joyful worship of God. What we are doing here today is happening all over the world. Here in this gathering, we sing songs and pray prayers and heed God's word and feast at his table, and the world is changed. The world is changed because it's changing us, and it's happening all over the world. The change may be small, may be imperceptible at times. Sometimes it may feel like we're losing ground, but God is doing it nonetheless. That is the promise of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is bringing heaven to earth, love and joy and peace and justice. Let me read a poem. This is by Malcolm Geit. Today, we feel the wind beneath our wings. Today, the hidden fountain flows and plays. Today the church draws breath at last and sings as every flame becomes a tongue of praise. 
This is the feast of fire, air, and water, poured out and breathed and kindled into earth. The earth herself awakens to her maker, translated out of death and into birth. The right words come today in their right order, and every word spells freedom and release. Today the gospel crosses every border. All tongues are loosened by the Prince of Peace. Today the lost are found in his translation, whose mother tongue is love in every nation. In the words of the Nicene Creed, the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. When we say that he's the giver of life, we do not simply mean that he gives us a religious life on top of our everyday lives. The sort of life he gives is all-encompassing. It touches everything. It's not just life on Sundays, it's life on Mondays too. From the cells that make up our bodies to the celebrations that make up our culture, the Holy Spirit has come to give life to the whole world beginning here in His church. So again, happy birthday. Let's celebrate our birthday by obeying, praying, worshiping, serving, and multiplying. Pray with me. I'm going to pray Psalm 67 for us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us, that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.